they're not really trying what I'm trying to teach them. They're trying to get an exercise. They're trying to just do what they already know from a different style. And、uh, what a beautiful thing it is when we can let go of what we know enough to to find a new interpretation. Greetings, and thank you for tuning in to another episode of Dharma Talk. I'm your host Henry Winslow, and this is episode number forty-five. That clip was from my conversation with this week's guest, Glenn Brown. Glenn is sort of a Renaissance man of movement and spirituality, and his background and interest in blending disciplines and styles from all over the place is a topic of this week's conversation. Glenn has found a way to incorporate meditation, yoga, tai chi, kung fu, and and more. Uh, into his daily regimen and also into his teaching, and that all stems back from an attitude that he has cultivated from a very early age. In this episode, we talk about healthy skepticism and what Glenn took away from being raised Southern Baptist and then getting thrown out of a kung fu school. We talk about why Glenn continues to integrate forms from different disciplines and what he considers to be the most important skill to master. And finally, finally, we get into the genesis of his signature style, Lion Flow Yoga, which is intended to break down the artificial divides in this community and promote unity. And what's better than that? Now, before we jump into the show. I want to point out that you're going to notice something here in a minute. In the announcements, for the very first time, I'm going to be endorsing something that is not my own teaching, and that's because I have my very first sponsor. I want you all to know, Dharma Talk community, that I will never recommend something on this platform that I don't personally believe in and don't think is relevant and potentially beneficial to all of you. So please rest assured that any recommendation moving forward is heartfelt. Now, with that being said, please stay tuned through these announcements, and we'll dive into my interview with Glenn Brown. This episode is brought to you in part by Yoga East Austin. This April, I'm super excited to partake in the upcoming Rocket Yoga training at Yoga East Austin. It's a five-day RYT, 50-hour practice intensive with Rocket Yoga pioneer David Kyle. David is a student of the late Rocket Yoga founder Larry Schultz, who studied extensively with the father of Ashtanga Yoga, Patabi Joyce. If you're curious about Ashtanga or hand balancing, this training would be a great introduction, since the rocket style tends to be a bit more loose and playful than traditional Ashtanga. Rocket takes postures from the second and third series and peppers them throughout a fun and dynamic sequence. David has been conducting trainings for over 15 years and has mentored some of my teachers, peers, and even past guests on this show, Yoshio Hama and Yancy Scott Schwartz. Needless to say, I am pumped to dive into the rocket at my old stomping grounds at that Yoga East Austin from April 24th to 28th. If you're interested, save on early bird registration through February 17th. For more info, go to yogaeastaustin.com/rocket. As for personal announcements, I do have a few events I'd like to invite you to. 
in June, my wife Veronica and I are leading a retreat to Casa Om Potomac. We are currently taking pre-registrations for the early, early bird list. If you're listening to this podcast on the day that it airs, January 31st, this is the last day to get on that list. And there's no obligation when you sign up for that. It just means that you'll get an invitation to book at the lowest possible rates and the first access to do so. So if you're interested, go to henrywins.com clarity. On February 15th through 18th, I'm co-leading the second immersion at Lighthouse Yoga School with Jared McCann and Aviad Sasi. On March 2nd, I am giving a workshop at Yoga Fitness Herald Square on vinyasa fundamentals or the sun salutations. So if either of those are of interest, head over to henrywins.com events. And for the immersion, don't forget to drop in the referral code HENRYWINS to get 10% off your tuition. Okay, that's it. Please enjoy the interview. What's your purpose? What's your vision? What mark will you leave on this planet long after you're gone? I'm Henry Winslow, and you're listening to Dharma Talk the only podcast where I interview inspirational yogis on how they're changing the world in their own unique ways. Whether you're still searching for your purpose or already walking the path, I hope these stories get you excited to live your dharma. Hello, Dharma Talk community, and welcome back to another episode. Today, I'm interviewing my friend Glenn Brown. Glenn is a poet, artist, college professor, founder of Lion Flow Yoga, and owner of Array Yoga in New Albany, Indiana. While battling depression as a teenager, he found art and poetry to be his most effective coping mechanisms, and Kung Fu, meditation, and yoga became additional expressions of those very healing practices. Glenn is certified in Sing E Kung Fu, he may have to correct me on the pronunciation there in a bit, uh, Qigong, Bikram Yoga, and Sun Style Tai Chi. He is also a USA Yoga National Champion, a self-published author, and an adjunct professor working to integrate yoga and Tai Chi into the health and wellness programs at Indiana University Southeast. Glenn, thank you for taking the time to chat with me today. How's it going? Oh, it's going well. It's, it's definitely my pleasure to, uh, to be here. And I appreciate the uh, opportunity. Yeah, thank you. I appreciate the opportunity to get to chat with you a little bit more. Um, we got to know each other through the competition circuit a little bit, but now we can have these conversations that we started to have more publicly and and share them with with our listeners here. First of all, how, how did I do with the pronunciation there of your specific style of Kung Fu? Is that right? That's right. Xing Yi. Oh, Xing Yi. Xing Yi. Okay. Nice. Yeah. Okay, well, before we talk too much about all of the different types of practices that you've um, devoted your time and, uh, and development to, we always start with the same first question, so we'll start there today. What does the word dharma mean to you, and what is your dharma as you understand it today? Dharma, so looking into what dharma means uh, seems very similar in some of its definitions to, uh, to Tao and Taoism. And uh, I would say I'm a Taoist. It's a prettier word than atheist. <laughs> so as a as a Taoist, I can relate to Dharma. Uh, it's one of its definitions being uh, 
bringing order to the cosmos or order to chaos. And uh, I found that one of the things I'm good at, and I'm not <clears throat> good at a lot of things, but I'm good at a few, <laughs> was uh, seeing patterns and uh, and organizing things that are complex uh, when it came to choreography. So I found um, with my yoga practice and my kung fu practice that uh, and even in my my personal life when it comes to religion, that my, my dharma is to be a, a skeptic. <laughs> so I have kind of a, a different perspective. I, I'm one of those unwilling to drink any Kool-Aid. I just like to learn and uh, appreciate uh, knowledge. So with that perspective as a teacher, a lot of times um, people are looking for something more spiritual for me but what i found was that the physical practice itself is is spiritual for me and that's what i try to offer so as the yoga community has progressed into you know a, a more diverse offering of different styles of yoga i find that i can offer even something that's uh, left out of that diversity with the classes i teach at least in my area um, when it comes to the class 84 class and uh, my particular um, style of yoga, lion flow yoga, as it uh, kind of combines my experiences, both uh, Qigong and yoga. And through my personal practice, uh, I found there was no difference between what I was practicing and the comfort of the yoga. They were just kind of uh, variations of the same methods with different languages and words behind maybe the concepts, but, uh, both about building the ability to concentrate and uh, the willingness to to be present and knowledgeable about yourself. So I find my dharma these days is to to do as much as I can to to make the knowledge that was exciting to me available to a a modern you know a clientele that's maybe more influenced by different types of yoga and more indoctrinated styles where people have their home studio and just practice that one style of yoga really my message has been more about the unity that it's it's nicer to be able to work together and to learn from each other and, and that my practice was most benefited by by cross training I have the steady layer of foundation of my personal practice but uh, outside of that i enjoy you know learning so that is my dharma or my duty and the way I sort out the the chaos that that I kind of feel I'm experiencing as a male yoga teacher in these times mm, um, yeah. into some type of and some type of order and some type of a useful message and um, something people can benefit from even if it's not the 99% pouring into my studio even if it's 0.0001% of that has validity and everybody needs their place to, to practice and to have the opportunity to learn what they appreciate, you know? Yeah. So long, long story. That's, that's how I feel my Dharma. You'll be the skeptic, be willing to ask questions. Don't just take what you hear at face value. Um, you don't have to be the, the glossy eyed believer. <laughs> you can, uh, you can be quite a skeptical mind and still find, uh, mystery and 
Well, let's talk about that idea of things that you learn. This, 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 uh, this tendency of yours to have a second look at the things that are taught to you, the things that you're exposed to and look for patterns. Um, have you always been skeptical of the teachings that are brought forth to you? Did that come naturally to you or is it something you learn from experience? That's the first part of my question. And then the second part is, um, in, in response to this idea of seeing the patterns between different modalities, different traditions, noticing that there are different or similar concepts that have different names, like you drew the connection between Tao and, and Dharma, right? When we started, what do you think, um, was that at all a part of the impetus for creating your own style of yoga, lion flow yoga? So lengthy question, but feel free to start wherever you, wherever you like. Right. And, uh, you know, I'll, I'll try to hit the parts. You might have to refresh me. But, but yeah, so the, the skepticism started early. I mean, a funny story I can remember from being a, a child, like four or five years old, was thinking that everybody was robots because their lives were so uh, routine. Like there must be some kind of robotics going on in there because they always do the same things. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. Just as a kid. So, but really in a, as life went on it was a really tough challenge because I, I really wasn't introspect wasn't just accepted into crowds um to get into that i was born in alabama and uh my wife just pointed out recently a, a good study that alabama is the most religious state in our country most churches and and whatnot and most people tithing to the church all, all those kind of statistics mm-hmm. <laughs> so I was raised Southern Baptist, and when I, you know, when I first came up, my dad was a, a music leader at a church, and then we moved to Indiana, which was mo- much more of a, you know, city and suburby kind of area, and uh, not quite like what we were familiar with, and uh, never really fit into the the age-old generational cliques that had formed in this in the town, and. Uh, so I just kind of hopped around different groups, and uh, a lot of times my my tongue would get me in trouble because I'd be in you know Bible study or some group, and they'd say something I found conflict with just based on the the words they were reading to us, and uh, it was it was an interesting experience. But what, getting to the point, the skepticism really began with uh, with being a Southern Baptist and being raised that way, and uh, I really appreciate the morality and left the orthodox religion uh not seeing you know not trying to base it fault on the religion but but not agreeing with it (laughs) you know Mm -hmm. i can appreciate the morality but saw fault in in offering and teaching division and uh, servitude even in such a way uh you know it's kind of like john snow it's not a I don't feel like bending the knee, <laughs> you right. know, so, so I found conflict in that, you know, I, back in that day, you know, I prayed about it and meditated about it. And, you know, as like a 16, 17 year old, you know, I, I left the church based on, you know, even Bible verses I'd found about, you know, if people are living for love and virtue and truth and for community, that. Um, they're no different than us, this being words out of Mark in the Bible. <laughs> and 
I was in, intrigued by that. Like, you know, as a human being on a really diverse planet, I felt we should learn more from each other. And it really, ju just thinking about how different the world would be if, say, the Spanish had and learned from the Aztecs and the Incas and the Mayans as opposed to destroying their cultures. And that, that scenario just plays out so many places in the world where something many things that were beautiful were lost just because of uh, a, a need for power, you know, or a, a conquest or fear of difference, <laughs> fear of diversity. So, uh, you know, that, that led to really, that's where the poet side of me came out that leaving the church and having, uh, I mean, my, my family's been, uh, really cool about it. I mean, we had our times, but, uh, you know, we can appreciate each other as, as human beings and the love that we have for each other outside out of having to follow the same religion. But that took time. That took me standing up for myself as well. And, and not in a fierce mean in your face kind of way, but more of, you know, look at the lifestyle I'm living, look at how I believe in virtue and the things that I do judge me by my actions, not by, you know, the categories you put me into. Um, so that, that really led to, um, being a little more empowered with that <laughs> skepticism, you know, and in my research, finding the only thing that really drew me in was Taoism because of its belief that everything's just energy flowing together. You know, that's pretty broad stroke and, uh, doesn't limit us to the perceptions we've created, but really ask of us to, uh, to see that we're one drop in that gigantic river and we can have the, the, what's the word I'm looking for? The honor of seeing so many other perspectives. We don't have to be those perspectives, but we can experience them all the same. Right. So that kind of continued on. So I, I stopped doing the sports I was doing, swimming and wrestling in high school and junior high and start focusing on art and music and drama and all those type of things to finish out high school. And uh, even before finishing high school, decided I wanted to kind of dedicate myself to to come for meditation and yoga, and that that came through by a failure. Um, I was part of a private kung fu school, which I'll leave anonymous because they like it that way. But uh, it was my first martial art experience ever. I was really excited about it. Always wanted to do martial art. Didn't know anything about kung fu or Taoism at the time, <laughs> and I was terrible and got kicked out because I was not flexible or coordinated enough is what my teacher told me. And that was as a 18 year old. <laughs> so, uh, that was probably the most motivational thing that ever happened because after that, I mean, he, that school tried to tell me not to teach or practice the things I'd learned anymore, but I continue to practice every day. Um, despite that, um, and not what, their form spe specifically what i found is that when i went out to all the different taekwondos and karates and uh jujitsu's and any classes i could find where there were all these similar core beliefs and that practicing any of these similar core beliefs wasn't really um dishonoring anybody or going against what they'd asked of me so i practice every day and uh based on that practice eventually i found a 
kung fu teacher. And uh, this is a pretty interesting story. I might as well throw it into this answer. Um, during this time of conflict and uh, you know working lots of labor jobs, I didn't go straight to college. I probably worked 20, 30, 40 different types of labor jobs out of high school and try to make it on my own and ended up back in my parents' house a couple of times. And this is definitely during all the same experiences I'm describing. And uh, part of that was after that Kung Fu experience and trying to practice on my own, um, I was living at home with my parents one time and was kind of feeling bad at myself, couldn't make enough money to get out of my parents' house and move on with my life or fulfill my dreams or all this, even though I was keeping my discipline and, um, you know, had lots of talent to offer. And one night after working, I was sitting in a park meditating, uh, that's near my house now even. And I saw strange lightning over, uh, the city across the river called Louisville. And it was intriguing enough to me that I actually walked from my city to that city that night and, uh, practice along the way and, did some meditation and some Qigong. And, and when I got to the riverfront, uh, there was a Kung Fu teacher there working with a student on forms. And we got into a conversation. And based on that conversation, he was interested in meeting again. And we talked about Taoism and the idea of form and uh, therapeutic properties of practice over fighting and and based on those conversations, he actually invited me to my first uh, teacher training, uh, along with his black belts and his teachers, which was odd because I had no black belt and no school. <laughs> but he invited me to this training, and I went, and it was in England, and that was where I learned Xing Yi and Qigong and, and a little bit of acupressure. And it was just over a two-week period, you know, kind of a short teacher training, something we have trouble with in our industry nowadays and coming home from that experience um one of the main things he taught me was that he recognized me because of my practice because i had i brought something to the table and that i should continue to develop that home practice so over the years i just kept with that home practice and it kind of enlivened that skeptic because i, I love the knowledge i love to practice different forms but um, was never drawn to, you know, like swear allegiance to a form. And that even, you know, came into conflict. Uh, I was trained in Bikram yoga just the year after that Kung Fu training. And, you know, I can appreciate the style and what it can do for people and, and the teacher and the derivatives that have happened since, uh, you know, all the dramas that have come out about Bikram yoga. And, in that appreciation at the same time, I didn't feel like I should be limited to like, I can never teach a workshop in this because somebody said so, or I could only teach students these few postures because that's the only thing that's good for them. Or that's, I don't know enough to teach them any different. And, uh, that, that really enlivened the skeptic even more. So with my Kung Fu teachers, thoughts and my kung fu teacher's name was sifu dewan keith dewan of red dragon school of martial arts but uh, with his thoughts of just learning uh continue to develop your home practice and don't just be the master of one thing learn to be the master of learning <laughs> so that you have a foundation and that you're always growing a more rich um, 
structure on top of that foundation. So with those thoughts in mind, as a, as a Bikram teacher, when students started to ask for private lessons, um, I wasn't drawn to really offer them just uh, just Bikram postures and just, just do the same class they'd always taken with me. Instead, I wanted to teach them how to practice at home and how to develop sequence that maybe would lead them to more to practice, you know, things that would contribute to practicing their Bikram and lead them in other directions at the same time. And in that time, I, you know, that's where the order from the chaos, like I'd practice all these things and built this huge foundation. Um, and I had to draw from that, how to teach a beginner, uh, this home practice that I developed. And that struggle really helped me to formulate what is it somebody needs in the beginning? Um, where is it? What is it they need once they progress a little bit? And what is it people want compared to what they need? And all those questions were easier to answer with a more diverse uh, understanding of the body, knowing Kung Fu postures and knowing yoga postures and knowing different yoga sequence from being open to trying many different sequence. So it was really the, the skepticism that brought it all about, you know, the, the breaking from the childhood religion to the being thrown out of a Kung Fu school. Um, and even, you know, having my differences with, uh, with teaching just Bikram and, and moving on with my life, like trying to find my, my Dharma, what was my purpose. And, uh, I really dedicated myself more fully to just teaching lion flow. I still teach one Bikram class a week because I, like I said, I still appreciate all the different styles and, uh, people having the opportunity to be informed about them. But, uh, I dedicated in 2010, just more toward lion flow and, uh, that's been a really enriching experience just to, to base my whole studio on what I love to share as opposed to just being uh, locked inside of somebody's doctrine. You know, mm -hmm. when I have my own belief structure and uh, built on a very solid foundation. When you look now, back on all uh, on this whole story, this journey that you went through to learn all of these styles and build the breadth of different um, modalities that you now have under the belt. It's interesting that to see kind of the, the repeating patterns that come up. First, you had this teacher who looked at you and your practice and you were trying and he said, you're a lost cause. So don't even work. <laughs> but then you continue to do it anyway. And then you came up against kind of another, another test. You met another teacher you know, they say when the student is ready, the teacher appears. And this one challenged you to go deep right. into it. And it almost makes me think, like, was the first one actually trying to serve you and giving yeah, you the like, fire to build you up? Was he trying to do something bad or was did he see that this is what I needed? That's that what you needed. Good? Yeah. It's kind of like right. you see with the how they train Jedis in Star Wars. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, exactly. you gotta have the struggle. You gotta take the walk in the forest and have the creepy vision, you know. Mm -hmm. <laughs> and you had that creepy vision, and it was in Louisville. Right, right, right. It was. 
the other thing that I that I really want to pull out of what you said there because I think it's it bears repeating was don't be a master of learning a skill. Be a master of of learning. Be a master of the right. act of learning. I think that's so important because yeah, you can train your body and you can become really flexible or really strong or whatever it is that your your practice develops. But if you neglect the mind, then really you are just crystallizing a default mode of thinking. And to get right. out of that and to challenge yourself and think in different ways, that's what learning does, putting yourself in new contexts, new environments of thinking about things, then you really, that's when you're unstoppable. Right, right. Because you're, you're, you enjoy the challenge. So yeah. you don't mind people challenging you, right? Mm -hmm. and so it, it so really, about, go ahead. Oh, go ahead. You go ahead. So, I mean, from what you're talking about, it brings a kind of a yoga community point about that, whereas there's divisions being created in the community, whether whether or not you should lock the knee or the elbow or whether or not you should round or turn the hips or, you know, breathe with one nostril or both, you know. <laughs> and it really, a lot of times being taught in such a way is like, if you're not doing it this way, you're being taught incorrectly. And I find... To me, that hit an old nerve, um, like with the uh, religion, that mm -hmm. that's wrong. You can't tell people that um, based on their circumstances, their bone alignment, what they like and don't like, what they need, what they want, what you think is wrong might actually be right for their body. Mm -hmm. It might not be right for yours, but it might be exactly what they need. And if you knew anything about the thing you're saying they shouldn't do, you might know to guide people this direction or that as opposed to just trying to put barriers in place. Mm -hmm. And uh, I, I find it's really, I mean, if we cite it for what it is, it's business. <laughs> it's not yoga. Yoga being about unity and self-awareness and, and the same thing, about learning everything you can about yourself and the world and, and uh, history and present, <laughs> you know. So it's really about creating more of a clientele that thinks other people are wrong when they teach them differently. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> so yeah. they'll come back to you. It's right. It's business that's, or that's maybe like, I mean, it, it could also be just the ego, you know, the, the attachment right. to being right about something and, um, the comfort that comes with being aligned to some sort of dogma that you think is the perfect thing. Right. You know, and I found that, uh, I like to, with the line flow, one of the things I want to do is build people up for whatever style they might try. And uh, within teaching in the studio, not be a pushy salesman. Like, I, I would appreciate people come and try this style, but you should also try other things. Uh, this shouldn't be the only yoga that you know. And if this is the right one for you, you'll come back. And I feel like that's uh, probably pretty unbusinesslike, right? But at the same time, it feels more uh, courageous, more honorable, and trying to take our community to the next level. We're, we're trying to support each other, and we're trying to send the students that would benefit from each other the right direction. And, uh, and to learn from each other as opposed to just being lost in little uh, bubbles, you know. Yeah. Well, I think in the short-term view, maybe it's like counterproductive to business. But in the long-term view, that's the way to serve people the best is give them all the options. And then the people that 
it's working for are going to gravitate back. And, and those are the people who will be champions of, of lion flow yoga and sharing it with all their friends and doing the marketing for you in a way. So, um, I wouldn't feel right. too bad about the business decision side of it either. Right. Cause you know, in the, in the long term, it, it helps me not have to be a gimmick ever, you know, yeah. like it can just be what it is and it can, and it can remain to be offered that way. And, and, uh, uh, and not in where I'm trying to offer a lot aim is going to go out there. Like that might be one of the biggest mistakes Bikram made was naming his yoga after himself. You know, like it could have been called something else <laughs> and that would have been useful to all the people that still teach it and practice it. But anyway, yeah. uh, with the live flow, it can, it can still move on through time and it even has, it's one of those complex equations or algorithms here's a structure here are the ways and the postures i would put into it but here's also the equation and how to use the equation with whatever you know whatever uh, body of movements that you're aware of whatever yoga styles you practice and i find that's that's universal you know and uh lets me stay focused on what what's true to myself you know i'm a slow writer i wrote a book took me 10 years to publish, started writing poetry as a 17-year-old, published a book uh, when I was 27. <laughs> Here I'm 38 and I'm still working on it. I've got like 10 books I need to edit and just put out there. But one of them is the, the line flow home workout model so that you can hear some poses I do and I like to teach. But here's the equation of how to put them together in a, in a fashion that will work for you so that you can mm -hmm. see progress in it and uh change it over time you know and even with the i was talking about this earlier might have gotten sidetracked with the lion flow series themselves i have different poses i didn't you know plagiarize a different series and it's one of the reasons i offered lion flows because i saw it was different than what was out there but i do use poses from different styles of yoga in such a way where if somebody goes to do a Bikram class, wow, look, this person has never taken a Bikram class, does a really excellent triangle, an awkward pose. They must have learned something about that before. And if somebody goes to a vinyasa class, somebody's saying, oh, look, they know how to forward stretch and uh, how to do upward and downward dog and all these other variety of poses. Uh, this is the first time in here. I wonder where they went first. And uh, that's kind of my, the sales pitch I'd like to have is that from this practice, you build the better ability to learn, right? It, it opens up something in you, unties some knots to help you uh, be better at learning, just like our original message a little earlier on, you know, that your practice should leave you in an optimal state of body to perform whatever else it is you need to do in your day, whether that's just going to work or whether that's learning other forms and mm -hmm. or for being a Olympic Olympic athlete or a pro basketball player, you know, that what you practice leaves you at an optimal state. Um, and I found. Um, does it have once, more to do with taking different postures that um, have similar elements to other styles of yoga so that the body is more prepared? Or would you say it has something to do with the way you prepare students of Lion Flow Yoga to think in a less rigid way? Or is it yes, some combination? Yes, it absolutely but... does. Because one of the first lessons that people have to, that they go through in a line flow class is, okay, this pace is different. <laughs> you know, like oftentimes in a class we're doing sets, we're holding things for different periods of time, you know, 
And right off the bat, we start off with some uh, movement where you get a, an inhale or exhale to move in a, in a breath or two or three in a posture, but then you have to move on. And the idea of this is in the beginning, we're just trying to, we're just trying to crack some things loose. We're trying to get pull circulation through the body. We're not trying to achieve a maximum posture and build more muscle cells in this first moment, <laughs> you know? Yeah. And so that's a really different take. And so it makes, I like to tell people it's a conversation with your body instead of an argument. You're going to learn how to use these postures that you don't know how they're going to warm you up for later in class. Uh, you're going to see that by going through this diverse array, array of postures that somehow it did warm you up to, to go deeper later in class and with less strain without having to force anything. Uh, just being able to see what is your optimal body after you get circulation into your muscles, you know. And so this interpretation of motion is a big part of it. And it's kind of comes from the, the Tai Chi and the Kung Fu, um, this idea of following your teacher with a less rigid mind, um, even having to turn off your analytical brain <laughs> so that you can use the move your arms and legs around part of your brain because <laughs> they're yeah. different, you know, different there has yeah. places. So we that's had a hard conversation for because they want to do both. Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Yeah. You first. Oh, I was going to say, we had a conversation about that very um, distinction of which part of the brain you're using when we were getting ready to do our competition in, in Beijing. And it's like, if you get caught up with the analytical, rational brain while you're trying to move your body, it's going to send signals totally haywire and nothing that works naturally is going to work. You have to rest right, into that subconscious smooth. part of the, the part of the brain. And I think that's a really good point right. to make about listening to a teacher too. There can be a natural right. connection the same way that just flows through the flow of energy. You said that, you know, that was, that right. was the Taoism, the fundamentals of Taoism. It's a flow of energy rather than an interpretation and translation right. and transliteration and execution. So, so it's a river. It's moving across the room. It's something we can all benefit from. You know, the teacher starts the, the ripple, you know, so there it's very difficult for people at first sometimes to let go of this uh, pause mentality stop watch maybe three four steps of a posture and then begin whereas in a class where you're only getting the flow of class and then it's that part's over <laughs> you have to kind of stay in the moment more like you're gonna you're not gonna remember step four and five if you try to watch that far before you began you're ever one step one two and three and the posture is already gonna be over <laughs> right yeah you, you missed so it. this yeah, so this idea of like just let it happen, you know, and even we get into the biochemistry, the the neuromuscular skeletal system is subconscious, right? It's based on where our body weight is, right? Um, on circumstance of of our weight distribution, <laughs> right? So if we learn to guide our weight distribution and to stay inside of that muscle memory. We tap into this subconscious ability to move, right, no right from left, and interpret what we're seeing, right? And that's so hard for people to tap into at first, but when they learn to, it's such a beautiful experience for them. And uh, even when they, they do finally learn that side of the line flow, they can, they can kind of try to rush class a little bit 
but <laughs> you know you still have to take time to teach beginners how to flow you know that's a common thing is the the regular students getting frustrated with the uh the extra time and the motion right because you have to you have to correct people and help yeah. them <laughs> well i feel but like i have a very you know, good I feel like I have a great understanding of how it came to be that you wanted to create this system of yoga that was unique and a blend of all of the different um, styles that you'd studied and 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 taking that that beginner's mind, that mastery of learning mind, and applying it to something that you could share. Um, but once you did that, and once you started going down that path, what sort of challenges did you come up across? Whether it was related to um, building out a system or or um presenting it to a group of people that hadn't been along the journey with you right let's say uh main challenge was uh in the openness of people's minds you know i'm i'm in a small town uh yoga just kind of breaking into the town the past couple of decades you know where it's been alive for a long time in many places and so at first, people just want to stay with what's familiar. Okay, well, I, I know about yoga, and I've heard about these coupled kinds, and that's that's what I'm comfortable with, <laughs> you know. And then beyond that, the regular practitioners, uh, and even often, uh, just put it out there. Sometimes teachers are the worst students. Let's just say that because they're because they're good at what they do. They're dedicated to a particular format and a way of moving or breathing, and that sometimes leaves us less open to learning a different format of moving and breathing, right? So when it came to trying to teach this new flow to people, when I decided to go from uh, just teaching private lessons to having a, a studio with a, you know open weekly classes, uh, the challenge was getting people to just let themselves try it. Okay, so yeah, we let the shoulder and the neck here, whereas you might not do that in a stanga. Or, you know, we use this hand for support here, whereas you might not do that in the Bikram. Um, and just getting people to try it, uh, even how to stay relaxed with within your strength, even when you're flexing, not tensing up your face and your intentions, but staying flex here, relax here. Getting people to do that as opposed to just trying to have their full-on exercise experience uh, could make it really Because they're not really trying what I'm trying to teach them. They're trying to get an exercise. They're trying to just do what they already know from a different style. And uh, what a beautiful thing it is when we can let go of what we know enough to to find a new interpretation and see what it does for us, work a new angle to the body. And so I'd say one of the difficult things in kind of promoting live flow um, here locally and abroad is that uh, – it kind of got this perception of being like a power yoga of being about power. And that's not even it. And people can associate that to me because maybe I look muscly. It's not really how I think of myself, but, uh, you know, I'm a tall guy and weigh 165 pounds and a half for the past 20 years. So people think I've always been able to do it, but that's just not really the, the truth of it. It's about empowering people to to learn how to move to learn how to learn right to learn how to accept where they are and, and to just do what is within their breath and their leverage today and just let that happen you don't force anything and that if you do that on a regular basis when you practice tomorrow you'll see something new you'll see progress 
or maybe just more information. It's not always good information, <laughs> but our practice gives us information about our body. You know, if we can break out of that rigidity of I just need a sweat or I just need a burn, I just want to do more warrior, I just want to hit head to knee a few more times, you know, like whatever the uh, the kind of indoctrinated thought process has that has been ingrained. So I find that even with the kind of emerging yoga community for uh, the USA, even people with similar experiences breaking out of the religion, kind of adopting more yogic lifestyles and, and this and that, that we're kind of influencing that side of the community with what we left, <laughs> you know, with some of the rigidity and with some of the kind of diversive thinking and uh, that had permeated the things we walked away from because we wanted to feel more like individuals, you know. Mm -hmm. And I find that breaking out of that that haze, that, that cor corporate religious haze that kind of divides everybody when you stand and offer a neutral zone that can be a little bit uh intimidating to people like you're trying to say they're doing something wrong or this or that and really it's just the opposite we're saying we should just all do this together <laughs> you know mm. doesn't matter what your religion is or what yoga background you have uh but i think you know another struggle was that you know, I was just doing it for my own reasons. It seemed like the natural next step in um, what I wanted to offer, like what my dharma was. But uh, it was also a huge ripple across the world. You know, lots of new teachers, not lots of new yoga styles, lots of new brands and and stuff coming out. And so it kind of, you know, might have gotten lost in the wave a little bit there. And, you know, I was okay with that, you know, even if there's no way showing up to class and I'm having to move my studio in and out of my house until the right place comes up, I found that I, I found satisfaction in just uh, in, in my practice. And, you know, integrity is what you do and nobody's looking. You know, when, when you teach the one student that shows up, um, the class they came for, and even more like a private lesson instead of turning them away because that'd just be too much work to have one student and you're only going to get paid like you usually get paid for the class. You know, so the struggles, uh, they, I appreciate them. I don't know. I mean, I, I hear I am uh, complaining about all the different struggles, but they really kind of identified what the business was and what it was I wanted to offer and even how it can be a common ground even though there's so much uh, turmoil. And over time, I found a lot of the people that come in, my main base of students are people who've never tried yoga before, <laughs> and they come in, or yoga teachers, you know, that come in because they want to enrich their practice. They want to learn more about advanced postures or different styles of practice, or just uh, they can feel what else it is they're learning from uh, line flow compared to whatever else um, they come from and appreciate how it adds to their practice. So the, the difficulties brought about the, the, the bird's eye view of really what, am, what I'm trying to offer and what I'm willing to do and what I'm not willing to do. You know, had to work with a lot of studios, had to 
had to introduce a line flow to people interested in having me teach it, but then I have to tell them about it and I have to show it to them. And they tell me, well, I think that's hard or they think this and that, or can you just do this instead? Or can you leave Lotus out? Or could you not lock the knees? Or, you know, like I've bent over backwards for lots of different requests from lots of different studios and teachers. And I, I find a uh, great satisfaction in, and just sitting back and just, doing my own studio um, mm -hmm. teaching the way i like to teach welcoming other teachers in if they want to come in and teach workshops or classes but uh getting to have a level foundation and base where i just offer you what line flow is for what it is and uh even in time uh i'm trying to work on getting line flow back in the house but in a situation where the the studio is an old grocery store that was built onto a house so that I can kind of continue this tradition of it doesn't have to be big. I'm not really trying to get 50, 100 people in every single class because something, there are great things about that, then there's also things that are lost in that. And one of the things lost in that is the ability to teach the details that I like to get into. And so I just base my studio and my classes on that. And uh, the struggle taught me that. <laughs> Glenn, what is one thing that you're either really excited about right now that's happened recently, or what is something that you are envisioning for the future? What do you see when you look ahead at Lion Flow Yoga? Uh, so looking ahead, um, I don't know. I'm really excited to see it um, settle in, you know, that, I, I've tried a lot of different modalities as a teacher and a studio owner, and I've kind of come into a place of recognizing myself, um, what it is I, I like to teach and what I think is helpful compared to um, what's the gimmick and uh, what sells and what's popular out there. And, um, I look forward to having a more relaxed experience because I, you know, I've hit it pretty hard for, for two decades. There was a time I taught over 30 classes a week and just at several different locations over the week and for years and just banging away, you know, trying to get it out there, doing demonstrations wherever I could and workshops and, and I found sometimes looking back, I feel like I was going backwards. I was trying so hard, you know, like, uh, part of what I was trying to teach was uh, a more relaxed modality. So I've, I look forward to that. And even, uh, with the last transition of the studio, um, I even, I kind of reformatted the classes to more express where I'm now, as opposed to just trying to keep the, the same old line flow classes, um, try to make them, better, uh, better expression of the practice and of myself and the, of the level of students they're trying to teach. And so I'm excited for even the people that used to practice live flow to come back in and uh, see how I've changed and experience the, the, the growth and the development of the style. Um, so people that have been before come in and can get excited about it again. And, uh, People that haven't been before can get a better, more enriching experience. So I, I guess I kind of look forward to sitting back and and letting the work take place. You know, there are 
things like the yoga championship, I strived for 15 years to, for something. I, I eventually wasn't to win anymore. I just kept going. And then I finally won. I didn't even expect it. And that, that accomplishment is something I was going for kind of made me think about really all the patterns, all the cycles of my life and all the things I was doing to train for the competition compared to trying to run my studio compared to trying to write a lesson plan for the college and, and how could I really sit back and do each one of those better? So you could say it's like new year's resolutions time. And I have really the same resolution every year, which is just to become more organized, <laughs> you know, and organized, uh, that is efficiency. And that's, you know, the live flow form is, really starting to efficiency more pervade more parts of my life <laughs> looking forward to that so that i can do more so i can reach out further with uh, the style and you know i've kind of taught centralized and just new albany and different cities around indiana and kentucky and i'd really like to you know I, I like putting myself out there i don't mind um uh informing people and having to go through that process i really enjoy that so there's nothing really hold me back from teaching in more places and getting it further out there than just making the time by being more organized. Mm -hmm. <laughs> so that's, that's something I'm looking forward to is, uh, you know, breaking into that part of, uh, adulting. <laughs> <laughs> well, so that I can, uh, so I can express what I love better, you know? Yeah. Yeah, totally. I mean, I would be really excited to see you, take that show on the road i i really look forward to um seeing how far you can take the lion flow yoga i would love to try it myself when i come to indiana whenever that may be or if you come to new york or, or wherever um so congrats on everything that you've done so far congrats on the win on the championship and um you know, I feel like we could probably talk on and on for, for hours. We haven't even touched half of this stuff in in your introduction, but um, we do try to keep the show around the same length each week. So I think now is the right time to move on to the final section of the interview. So okay. this, this um, section is called the Prana Round, and I'm going to ask you six rapid-fire questions and ask you to answer in minimum one word, maximum one sentence. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> All right. In one word, why do you practice yoga? Coping mechanism. Okay. I'll let you have two. <laughs> What's your favorite yoga pose and why? Side crow, which I've also heard called a uh, Kundinya Asana number two, uh, because I found. Oh, wait, that's a long sentence. I found strength in the one-arm balance there that really opened up my practice. Nice. What is the single best cue or piece of advice that you've ever received from a teacher of any of any style? Let's see. That uh, the heart is your guru. Recommend one book, either modern or ancient, for our audience. Celestine Prophecy by James Redfield. Is yoga for everyone? Yes. 
Okay, last question, Glenn. <laughs> how can our audience get in touch with you and how can we support you in your dharma? Excellent. So uh, you can find me on uh, Instagram, Lionflow Yoga Man. Uh, you can find me on a website, which is lionflow.com or array.yoga. And uh, you can find me at my studio, which is in downtown New Albany, Indiana, um, close to the river, and a nice little old historic downtown location. And uh, come practice yoga with me sometime. <laughs> right on. Glenn, it's been such a pleasure to chat with you. Thank you for taking the time, and I wish you the best. Let's continue this conversation sometime soon. All right. Thank you so much, Henry. It was a real pleasure. Many thanks. Hey, Dharma Talk community. If you enjoyed this podcast and you haven't done so already, please hit the subscribe button right now. And if you'd like to show your support even more, leave me an honest review on iTunes or whatever podcast directory you listen on. You can also make a financial contribution to keep the show up and running, a donation at henrywins.com. And remember, I'm here to serve you. So if you have any questions or comments or ideas, you can always reach me on Instagram at henrywins. Otherwise, I'll speak to you next week. Keep living your dharma.